Start again, start again, begin. Start again, everyone. You're listening to Caterpillar Goo. I'm Rod Hayden. And I'm Flora. Hi, Flora. Hey, Rod. What's going on? I don't know. It's been so long since we did this. I always forget how it goes. You did a podcast. Who did you interview? I interviewed Joy Rosina. I went to high school with her. See, you're not the only one with high school friends. (laughs) (laughs) What has she seen? You. (laughs) (laughs) What Joy and I talked about is her belly dancing. She started belly dancing in community college after high school, and she's since become a professional belly dancer. She dances at hookah lounges and nightclubs and restaurants and... That's cool. I've always wanted to learn to belly dance. I used to do Bengali folk dances and Indian classical dances like Bharatnatyam and Kathak. And I remember whenever I used to tell Americans that I used to do Indian dances, they're like, oh, you know how to belly dance? I'm like, no, that's not Indian dancing. I believe that's Middle Eastern, right? Yeah. Um, Is she from the Middle East? No, she's uh, she's a suburban white girl. Grew up in <laughs> suburban Dallas, just like I did. I mean, I think she t- she says she traveled around a lot when she was young. She moved around a lot, so she was always the new kid. But she's definitely not Egyptian, and I think that's from what she says in this story. I think that's at least part of the origin of of belly dancing. But you've mentioned she's um, cognizant of. Um, being a white person um, and performing these cultural dances. But uh, she's teaching herself and teaching others as well? Yeah, she's very thoughtful and intentional about how she approaches cultural experience as a white person from outside of the culture. That's what I really enjoyed about talking to her about it. I was curious if in your dance experience, has that been westernized? I mean, are there... Indian dance studios where you can go learn it as like the way that yoga has been westernized or that belly dancing has been westernized as like uh, an American fitness program, that kind of thing. Or I'm not sure. I believe it's the other way around. When I see um, Indian dances now or Indian dance competition, it's a fusion of bringing Western styles in like break dancing and other styles and ballet and jazz into mixing with Bharatnatyam and Kathak and Bollywood and things. Um, I haven't seen it the other way around. You and I have talked some in the past about how how you feel about cultural appropriation. You don't... I don't want to put words in your mouth. What do you think about white people taking on these art forms? I guess maybe I haven't experienced it in a negative way. I've always seen it because, you know, I've grew up here since the age of nine and I had friends from different cultures um, and then when they asked to wear um, saris or shalwar kameez or eat with their hands instead of u- using utensils or um, whatnot, I just I didn't see any of that as cultural appropriation I saw it as them wanting to learn about my culture and I thought it was nice so I don't know I, ha- I have mixed feelings about it I guess it's it depends on the intention yeah, that makes sense. As as someone who's dating a woman who's got a cultural history that I don't participate in myself, I think about that kind of stuff. Like when we get married someday, or I don't know if we're going to do a traditional dance, but 
like I picture myself doing doing those choreographed dances like that I've seen your sister and her husband do and and your your siblings and I think oh that white man trying to trying to do those Indian dances it's gonna be <laughs> I just wonder like how your family would take it. I mean I think they would be very embracing of, of me like participating in Right. They would think it's very sweet that you are trying to understand our culture, be part of it. And instead of being an outsider, you're trying to be an insider. It's a positive thing from my family's point of view. With the cultural appropriation part, it was tough finding music because I have, I have no budget for this project. So I don't have money for licensing music. So one of the things I thought about when I was reading White Supremacy and Me was about cultural appropriation and it talks about monetizing and talks about one thing you should do instead of trying to make money recreating a culture that you don't belong to is put that money in the pocket of the people who are immersed in it and who do live it. So I would have loved to have paid somebody for authentic belly dancing music to back this this episode but i don't have any money <laughs> <laughs> so finding music that was appropriate in some in some places i tried to find belly dancing music but finding license free creative commons music a lot of that was made by white people <laughs> so it's it, i i am not it's not lost on me the irony of playing white people music behind a conversation about a cultural appropriation and inclusiveness. And <laughs> I did my best, I swear. <laughs> well, it was a great conversation with Joy about how she approaches all that stuff. Now here's Joy Rosina. Enjoy. It's funny that your uh, your the name of your project is Caterpillar Goo, and that really made me smile when I saw it because I think I had seen recently the whole thing about how when a caterpillar transforms, it essentially disintegrates and comes back together. And I resonate with that quite a bit, actually. And I I kind of feel like I'm always in a state of goo. I'm not sure if I've ever actually become a, a butterfly. I'm just always kind of gooey, like maybe that's not the same for everyone. But for me, it's it's true. I'm, I'm always changing and trying to figure out who the hell I am, <laughs> just in general. I know that you've talked about people behaving as if a belly dancer is a stripper. Like oh. if there, if there are people who don't have any experience with belly dancing and like, is there anything you wanted to say about that? Um, okay. Well, if you don't have any experience with belly dancing, it's okay to look at the dancer 
it's 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 okay to interact with the dancer. The whole point, if you're ever at a place and a belly dancer shows up, is for the whole evening to be more fun. You know, no matter if the dancer doesn't look like what you expected them to look like, or if you are weirded out because you're not used to that. It's just all about having fun and enjoying the moment. I like it when my audience interacts with me. I want them to yell and scream and applaud and they can tip and they can get up and dance with me. You know, I don't want, you know, touching or anything like that, obviously, but I want interaction. Like that's really one of the the biggest um, things about being a, a belly dancer is that you are there to facilitate the party. And there is not a worse crowd ever than one that is not looking or just refuses to be into it. It just sucks every bit of energy out of you. It is so hard. I've done a lot of shows and I've had a lot of people tip me I'm, in a lot of different ways. Um, depending on where I'm at, um, in the nightclub where I first started, uh, in the beginning, they did not allow anyone to touch the dancer. So you could not accept cost, uh, tips in your costume. Um, they could hand it to you, but it was mostly they would come out on the dance floor and they would do a money shower and they were allowed to dance with you a little bit, but the bouncer would escort them away from the stage if they stayed too long. That was awesome. I felt like such a rock star back then. And But other places where I danced, um, where it was maybe a smaller restaurant, uh, I would accept tips in my costume and, and usually... Um, what I do is I tell them where I want them to tip me and, you know, side of my hip. Um, maybe I'll have an armband and I'll like point to my armband. If maybe I'll let them like do it in the front of like in my strap, but a lot of people like go straight for the front of the bra and like, you just have to, you know, block it off. But, um, mostly it's like Persian grandmas want to shove $20 bills down your bra and I'm like okay (laughs) I guess that's what we're doing now I've had very very few incidents where people were really handsy or like I've I've had real problems occasionally you'd get somebody who decided they want to dive down the front of your costume to give you that whole dollar that they had in their hand and you know, it's like you just get really good at evasive maneuvering. But mostly, mostly people are respectful. Um, the worst problems I had were probably with twenty-year-old um, college girls trying to twerk on me. <laughs> My dad is a, is a Muslim. He's a white guy, and back in the 70s when everyone was converting to Islam, um, that's what he did. And him and my mom got divorced when I was really young. I was about two. And so I never, um, he wasn't in my life a lot because he went off and did his own thing, um, spent some time in Bangladesh, I think, and then um, got married again and married a woman of the faith and then went off and lived someplace else and just wasn't a very present, you know, person in my life after that. 
He's lived in uh, Turkey and Cyprus and, and places like that. But um, I think the fact that he became a Muslim kind of in the back of my mind piqued my curiosity about the Middle East, maybe. And so the story is that when I was uh, in, I was signing up for classes at community college in Austin. And there was a course called Mideast Dance. So there was a connection there. And I think that's what kind of piqued my interest. But I quickly realized that, you know, you're not going to connect with your Muslim family member by becoming a belly dancer. That's just not <laughs> the best way to, to do that. Um, and he's very religious and, and there's a lot of tension in the Middle East between people who are very and people who are more secular and the dance is definitely frowned upon in religious you know communities in the middle east because it's not how traditional muslim women would uh would behave right so yeah i started taking uh Helene's class i have a lot of stuff in store for us today and there was um they used to have a show at the student union. Um, and so that was where I went and I kind of saw my first actual belly dance show. And, and I was so enamored with, you know, the ladies were beautiful and their costumes were sparkly and everyone's dancing and everyone's free. And, and you know, I'm, I'm 19 at this point and, you know, 20. And I just thought it was amazing. And it was so different from what I had been around growing up um, that I was hooked. You know, I, I really wanted to do that thing. I really fell in love with it. And the, I fell in love with the music, actually, is what happened. And and it, it really did change my life. I mean, I, obviously, it took me in a direction that I never would have gone if I hadn't taken that one class. So uh, let's make sure our hands are warmed up with our threes. We're gonna do it 160 beats per minute, okay? Yeah, I, I, I took a couple semesters with Helene. Let's enjoy it. And her style was really a lot different from what I do now. She's a very American um, hippie goddess kind of thing. And as I started, studying the dance, I kind of became a little bit more interested in how it related to the cultures that it came from. And um, so I wanted to do more of the Arabic style. I love the Arabic music. I wanted to use that kind of stuff and learn. I had a job at um, a hardware store in on off of 29th Street. Um, and I was a cashier for a couple years. And one of the guys that worked in the paint department People would come up to me and say, hey, do you know Jonathan's girlfriend is a belly dancer? And I was like, yeah, whatever, because this is Austin. And like the hippies used to dance at Eeyore's birthday party in their patchouli and their broomstick skirts. And they were like belly dancers. And I was like, that's not a real belly dancer. You know, I'm just like, yeah, right, whatever. And when they would go to Jonathan's house, and see his girlfriend, they would go, hey, this other girl, she's a belly dancer. And she would go, yeah, right, whatever. So, <laughs> so 
then we we met each other and I don't even remember how we met and um, she's probably been the biggest influence on my life we're still best friends like 26 years later she was dancing at the student union she was teaching through the student union she started um, doing workshop productions and things like that and I was just kind of her tag-along buddy I would do whatever because I was broke and she would let me come to things if I worked for her so I just I was doing it as a hobby really only and there were a couple of restaurants that I started dancing in in the late 90s there's a place called Ararat a restaurant called Ararat on North Loop and that was one of the first places that I that I gigged at and then there was another little Persian place called Best Middle Eastern um, so I danced at a couple of places but it was really inter intermittent and um, then in 2001 uh, my ex and I ended up moving back to Dallas and that really changed my life as far as actually becoming a paid gigging dancer and really um, teaching and all of the things that I've been doing for the past 20 years. <laughs> um, I started working, um, Dallas had the clubs, it had bigger nightclubs, it had Greek restaurant, it had uh, a Lebanese club called Alamir, and it had Persian nightclubs. So it had things that Austin did not have. It had nightlife and it had paying gigs. So I started uh, dancing in the clubs and either I think I did my first professional gig in Fort Worth at a restaurant called Biblos which is still around it was New Year's Eve he probably couldn't get any of the local dancers and I was probably cheaper than the going rate because I didn't know what I was doing but that was my first paying gig and then after that um, a good friend of mine that I ended up dancing with for a long time in a professional troupe, she got me a job at Alamir, which was the prestigious club. It was where all of the um, Arab families went and it was a really great international club. She got me a job there and I started working um, on the weeknights when it was slow because you got to work your way up in this business. <laughs> And I think it was 50 bucks um, on the weeknights when sometimes I wouldn't even dance because there was not, you know, not enough customers to dance for. But um, then the weekend shows were amazing. And it was a three level club and there were, it was packed with people. We had bouncers that would like walk us through the crowds to the stage. And it was just amazing. Um, and so yeah, I, I, I danced there, um, actually danced at Alamir. That's actually the job that I've had the longest my whole adult life. I worked at that club from about 2002 until I moved here to Ohio in 2021. I have a website. It's uh, TamraHennaBellyDancer.com. I have an Instagram. It is TamraHennaOfficial with an underscore. So my TikTok is TamraHennaOfficial 
That's T-A-M-R-A-H-E-N-N-A underscore official. And I'm on Facebook as Joy Rosina. And if you, um, I'm less politically vocal on Facebook than I used to be because I've been zooked a few times. And I figure I'm going to lose my privileges if I say anything more about what I really think about things politically (laughs) on Facebook anymore. I'm glad you said the Tamara Hanna part because I was going to ask you that. Where did the name come from? Tamara Hanna is a movie character. In this movie, she was a dancer. She danced with the family circus. It's kind of an Egyptian My Fair Lady story. Like, rich guy comes to the circus, makes a bet that he, he can take this girl and make her acceptable to society. And the dancer that plays the role, she was actually a dancer and an actress. She was one of my favorite of the, um, what they call golden era dancers, the dancers from the 50s, like the golden age of Egyptian cinema. title of the movie is Tamara Hanna and the song is Tamara Hanna and the character is Tamara Hanna and I loved the the song and the dancer so much that when I decided to, to pick a name and this was back when it was the thing to do to pick a, an Arabic name if you were going to have a stage name or some kind of stage name I decided that I would pick that name because it's a fictional character and I figured I'm not passing myself off as, as, you know, an Arab woman. I'm naming myself after a a fictional character. So anyone who who hears the name, who is of the culture, knows that that's not my real name. And the song's a great song. I still love to dance to it. with belly dancing what what was um, it about it that resonated with you like how how did it get its hooks into you so fast and deep honestly i think it was the permission to to move and to be kind of free and i think that's what um really draws a lot of people into it and unfortunately it does it does tend to draw a lot of people who've had you know 
trauma, bodily trauma, you know, um, in their lives and like have not been able to express themselves physically because it's so, it's so much about personal expression and expressing your sensuality, your, your, it's not so gendered as it used to be, but like when I started, it was all about expressing your femininity and, and, you know, um, the whole goddess angle and, and being a woman and yada, yada, like as of 2022, we've kind of moved past that somewhat and realized that, you know, both people who are male and female and everywhere in between like to express those sides. But I think back in the day, it was definitely marketed quite a bit towards women and, and freeing kind of a space to express yourself um, physically and and to dance and be sensual and to feel beautiful and I think that's initially what what drew me to it Um, there's a lot of orientalism in that as well like it's exotic it's sparkly it's a persona that you can put on Um, I think the thing that really kept me was definitely the music. Um, it was, it was deep and complex and, and it really struck me. And then when I, I started learning about how did people move to this music, it was also really different from, from any dance form that I had, had seen, um, before. And I think that just kind of captured my imagination, um, and really pulled me into it as you go along you start creating um not necessarily a persona for yourself but may in a way it kind of is a persona for yourself and and it just I became a belly dancer and that's that's who I was and what I was and it it's not spiritual, but it is. It's very, very physical. You know, it's, it's for me, it was the way to get in touch with my body. And it's like that for a lot of different people. I get the sense that you think deeply about how you engage with belly dancing as a white person. I do. Um, I definitely do more now than I did. I mean, there's, there's racial bias everywhere. And it's just when you have people that start pointing it out, people who are, you know, of other races and say, hey, this has been our experience in this community. It's really kind of, it was a challenging time and I think it still remains a challenging time. Um, When you are, when you're a white person and engaged with the world in general, you really look at it one way and then you have an idea of how the world is. And then when you start hearing other people's experiences then you know, hopefully you realize that it's, it's not the same for everyone. It's real easy as a white person 
to get sucked into I'm so put upon because nobody likes me because I'm white and I've seen that conversation happen. Um, I know how people get sucked into um, the resentment of woke culture because I've seen it happen within the belly dance community. I have felt it within myself and had to wrestle with it and go, look, this is not the road you want to go down. This is not not going to, you know, uncover a part of your own personality that is good. So, you know, check yourself. But it's easy to do. Um, and it, it did make me take a step back and, and try to be um, a lot more introspective with how I'm engaging with other people, with the dance form, the cultures. And so I did have to be, I don't think I had to be, a lot of people have chosen not to, but I became a lot more introspective about what it means to be a white person um, in a space that is not mine. Um, it's not my culture. Um, I think a lot, of, a lot of dancers who spent a lot of time in this space just assumed, you know, we're, we're getting these jobs and we're gigging and and it's because always it's it's because of our ability or you know whatever it is that we have that is um, appealing to the audience and to the um, venue owners whoever's hiring us at the time and so we assume that we're getting getting jobs because we're the best person for it and a lot of other people having found vo their voice online were able to come in and say, hey, I'm a, a dancer, I'm a black woman, or I'm a, a, a man, or I'm a trans man or whatever, and I'm trying to get jobs and I, I can't be hired because of racial biases that exist and people who are gatekeeping and who have a lot of say and who gets to dance and who doesn't and um, sometimes it's because that there's racial bias in the owners of the venues and um, they tell you as a scheduler that they don't want certain kind of people um, I know I have been told I did the schedule for Alamir for many years and other clubs it wasn't just there but I've been told so and so looks old don't have them back. You know, like I've never been told specifically, we don't want black dancers, but black dancers on the schedule have felt like they weren't welcome. And I heard that from, from you know, people who were in my community who, who, you know, said that that was the way that they had always felt. There's a lot of racial bias um, all over the world, anti-black race, racial bias all over the world. It's not, um, specifically a, a white American thing. Um, I've seen other biases, size biases, um, people being told that dancers were too overweight, too old, too this, too that, whatever it is. And some of it was in the professional spaces um, where I was more familiar. Um, and in other situations, it was members of the community say, um, a, a teacher would make comments to her students about 
you know, who looked right, you know, or dancers being too dark for this or too light for the, you know, just whatever. And so I think people started talking about the, the, the biases that they had, had experienced in, in this dance form. And it, it really, it caused a lot of, of consternation and a lot of people weren't ready to hear that maybe some of the things, the ways that they had behaved themselves were problematic for other people. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of controversy around it. I, I, I think that there are a lot of people who felt like um, the, it went too far. Um, there was a lot of talk about canceling certain people and some people, you know, needed to be canceled because they had, you know, really hurt a lot of other people and didn't really seem to care. But it's really interesting because it, it's kind of a microcosm of the same conversations that you may have seen happening in the, you know, in, in our culture at large over the last year or so. It happened within the community on a smaller scale. And with everyone being home and being on, online and people were talking about things a lot more. So I, I did, it, it did make me have to think about what was I doing? How was I engaging with other dancers? How was I engaging with the culture? You know, you can't help the skin you were born in on either side, but you do have to recognize how have I benefited? Um, how have we benefited, I should say, from being the right color or at least not being the wrong color? Um, and, and, you know, do I, do I even really need to, to be practicing an art form that belongs to a different culture? And, and it took me a while. Um, I, I never thought that I would give it up, but I really thought that, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to do it, I need to be thoughtful about it. You know, um, I've, I've engaged with the communities, um, personally for a lot of a long time I, I worked in nightclubs with you know that were owned by Lebanese and Syrian people and I heard the conversation from their end on what are they looking for in entertainment so I understand why am I making the entertainment choices that I am making you know I don't present the dance form as a um as a cultural exercise, uh, it is very based in the traditional styles from the Middle East, but there's also there's also an element of Las Vegas showgirl happening. And for some people, they feel like it invalidates that. Like a lot of people want want presented as this is this is a thing that I have learned and it's an academic exercise so I am doing this dance from this region and I'm you know and it's very specific whereas I come from a, the entertainment side of it whereas I kind of know what the traditions are but they've asked me to do fire so <laughs> which is not necessarily traditional but my boss is saying, hey, we want the New Year's show this year to be like, what can you do to make it bigger than last year? So it's, um, 
It's a real balancing act, trying to stay somewhat traditional and always be um, respectful of the cultures that I am interacting with. But understanding that Friday night is Bollywood night at the Arabic nightclub and the crowd wants me to dance to Bollywood music. And so I do, like, because they tip when you do it, because they're happy that you're dancing to music that they like and enjoy, you know what I'm saying? So there's there's a real, um, it's real interesting. But if I posted a video, you know, of myself doing that, somebody online who has been studying belly dance and has some really ideas about um, what is appropriate and what's not, and, you know, are you being Orientalist and are you doing all of that? They may look at that completely without context and go, what are you doing? You're just contributing to the muddying of the waters. And as an outsider to the culture, I have to understand what I'm doing and make sure that I'm not going too far, if that makes sense. The teaching world, the hobbyist world, and the professional world are sometimes really different. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of people made their living as um, dance teachers and had studios and taught a lot of people and put on a lot of like big workshops and, and made money and produced other dancers. But, you know, depending on what area of the country you were in, you might not have any real opportunity to engage with anyone from any of the communities where, you know, the, the dance is native to or, you know, where the dance is from. Like if you're in some small town somewhere and there's no, no one um, who's from the Middle East, but you like belly dance because you were exposed to it, like you could open a studio and teach everyone that you know how to do this dance and no one has met a single person from from the Middle East so I think a lot of in a lot of cases that's where there's some divorce from the reality of engaging within the communities and just a bunch of western people um, in a lot of cases a bunch of white people doing a dance form that they can tell themselves a lot of different stories about that aren't necessarily true. Like there's a lot of incorrect history of the dance and what, how it came about and what it was for. Um, if you've ever done any Googling of the history of belly dance, and I don't know why you would have, but if you ever do, there's a lot of stories out there that it was goddess worship or it was birthing rituals or it was this or that or the other thing. And none of those things are true. Belly dance is not thousands of years old. It's from the turn of the last century and it kind of came out of, you know, um, what, we, what we see today is being like placed on the stage entertainment in nightclubs and in, in the movies and things like that kind of came from the cabarets that were started in Egypt in the early 20th century, late 19th century, 
mostly early 20th century, but was kind of a result of colonization. Like there were nightclubs because people wanted to see Western style shows. And they were kind of catering to their own culture, but also trying to emulate the colonizers perhaps in, you know, in, in putting these things together. And then, then you get the movies, which were heavily patterned after Hollywood. You know, there would be musicals where or any movie, didn't matter what the movie was, had to have a belly dance scene because it's what, you know, people wanted to see stuff like that. So there was a lot of cross-pollination even back then. But like what we do today came out of that time. So, you know, what was happening before then, the dances that were, the entertainment that was happening in people's homes, at weddings, at gatherings and things like that, looked a lot different than what we, you know, what we see today. And so, no, it wasn't thousands of years of birthing rituals and and goddess worship you know it's like but when you're in a little town someplace or you know someplace in california or whatever it sounds really cool right it sounds great and it's how it's appealing to your customers who are you know middle-aged housewives and it sounds like really awesome and i want to worship myself like a goddess or you know i want to take part in this you know dance that's as old as the pyramids and so there's a lot of stuff going around out there that we made up. And now it's possible to be confronted with somebody who is from North Africa and says, wow, that's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> what are you doing? So we're being confronted as Westerners with our own colonizer ways, I suppose. And it's not always fun. Um, it's not always fun to hear. So it's it's been a tumultuous time within the community. Um, and I, I don't know how that really has changed what I'm doing. I think it has caused me to think more about how I've benefited from my own privilege. And to really examine, am I doing anything to help people who haven't been, for whom it hasn't been as easy to participate? Am I doing anything to help those people feel more welcome? Am I making sure that the choices that I make um, don't stray too far so that, you know, and go into the realm of disrespect? But, I mean, I've been doing this for a really long time. I'm, you know, I can do something else, and I guess that's kind of where I'm at right now. Um, I'm not ready to do something else yet. Gigging is an addiction, truly. Um, performing is addictive, and um, steady income is addictive, too. <laughs> <laughs> this year, I'm turning 50. You know, how many 50-year-old belly dancers gigging in clubs are there is the question. And the answer is probably more than you think. <laughs> but, you know, there's there are younger dancers coming, you know, coming up. And 
you you don't want you don't want to be asked to leave so it's better to to leave on a high note i don't quite look my age yet um and i can still teach and i think i'm 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 not too bad at that i'm, I'm I've done okay with the teaching and I'd like to do more of it. I can still do it physically. I can still I can still do everything that almost that I used to do before. Um, I don't have any physical limitations yet. Um, in this business, it's more about um, does your client perceive you as being the right age to be entertaining them because ageism is a thing, yo. <laughs> <laughs> everyone at the everyone at the nightclub is still 21 and I'm not <laughs> but I do have to start thinking about what do I do when I'm not a dancer anymore you know full time what do I do with that so it's like the next chapter <laughs> and you know do I do I try to stay a dancer as long as possible or do I just chuck it and open a restaurant <laughs> So, I mean, I've talked about what I've been doing. But I really haven't talked about how it changed me, I guess. Like, how did I change from being a really, really shy teenager to I don't I'm not shy anymore yeah I was I was really shy or, or maybe I wasn't shy I think maybe it was circumstantial you know it's I was always the new kid because we moved a lot so I never had really the opportunity to make friends you know and this is when I'm going to get emotional so just bear with me so when you come from a really shitty situation you I personally don't want to bring that like I don't want to burden other people with that I guess like how do you talk about it I just wanted to go to school and get away from it I certainly didn't want to make school life or my, my, the friendships that I found there about my personal drama, I guess. So it was just like, I don't have anything good to talk about, so I'll just be really quiet. <laughs> and really, I, I don't know that dance changed me. I think it just drew it out, what was already there, if that makes sense. I think maybe if I hadn't had the experience of becoming a belly dancer and having all of the different experiences that I've had through that, I might have stayed more reserved, I don't know, or just would have gone a different direction. But um, this was really a way for me to figure out who I was and who I am and really just express that. and. Like I said, I don't think I'm different. I, the transformation has been in, I mean, allowing me to become who I am. It's like 
the the butterfly isn't any different from the caterpillar it's just the final form it's the same dna right it's just whether it's able to figure out how to fly That was Joy Rosina talking about her experiences as a belly dancer. Thank you, Joy, for the time and energy you spent on that. And uh, you had mentioned maybe we could collaborate. That would be great. I would love to do another another episode with you. Maybe do a fiction story like I did with Anne McQuarrie. Thanks, Joy. I really enjoy listening to your story. And I would love to learn belly dancing from you someday. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Okay, good enough. Okay. This thing is heavy. <laughs> <laughs>